Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text this morning is from the Epistle reading, Romans the 8th chapter. In the last couple verses of the Epistle reading, St. Paul writes to us, he says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And this is our text this morning, dear friends and our Lord Jesus. Celebrity endorsements are nothing new. Not so long ago, a, a writer for the Los Angeles Times reminded us that they were already being used in the 1800s when Queen Victoria's laundress was used to give her ringing endorsement to Glenfield Patent Starch. Also in his day, Mark Twain's famous face appeared on a bag of flour and a couple cigar boxes. Of course, since that day, celebrity endorsements endorsing certain products has proliferated, widely used today, as you well know. Of late, I'd say one of the most long-standing relationships between a celebrity and product has been the former basketball great Michael Jordan and his nearly 15-year endorsement of the sports drink Gatorade. Likely you'll remember that in years past. You might recall the tagline Gatorade used to market the drink in that prior campaign. Tapping into the emulation factor that celebrity endorsements do imply, the tagline for a long time, you might remember it, was like Mike. Like Michael Jordan, like Mike, I want to be like Mike, was the saying. At least that's the promise, that was the, the slogan, the offer, by which marketers tried to hook or tried to convince the buyers. It's, it's how celebrity endorsements always work. They try to hook the buyer so that you will be, or at least you think you'll be, like the one who, who uses or, or holds the product. In light of this, the, the, the current slogan for Gatorade, the one that they've been running recently, is, is interesting to us to note this morning. A different slogan, but with the same sense. Showing, as you've perhaps seen on television, many of, showing many obviously well-fit, top-notch athletes, many of them recognizable by their celebrity status, doing their sports thing, and then refreshing themselves with their product, Gatorade. The ad poses to you this question. Is it in you? Is it in you? And you know the implication. If it is, then likely you'll be like them. Well, friends, considering our sermon text today, it makes you wonder whether or not the marketers of Gatorade borrowed a little bit from St. Paul. Paul peddling or pitching nothing, but rather proclaiming to us the very pledge of God himself. He states it much in the same way. He doesn't pose it in the form of a question saying, is it in you? But rather he puts it in the form of the promise. He says, if it's in you, if he's in you, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is in you and dwells in you, then you will be like unto him, then you will be raised like him. It's a truly magnificent promise, isn't it? So why don't we feel like him day to day? The evidence in our everyday lives is plain, plain as the nose on our face. We're not like him. 
now are we? Seems almost like a bit of that celebrity endorsement letdown when you realize after downing 12 bottles that you don't play basketball like Michael Jordan. You consider even this morning's aches and pains and groans and moans as you came here, especially this early morning. You consider these things, or you think about yesterday's sins. We wonder if the Spirit's dwelling in us, then, then why don't these bodies of ours resemble the risen Lord in how we feel and how we look and what we do? Why are we not like Him? Well, the reason, now that we are not like Him, it also comes from another phrase, in fact, a word in our text. The word is mortal. Mortal. Paul describes, remember, these bodies of ours as these mortal bodies of ours. And that word mortal is rather telling. It comes from the Latin, moris, mortis, from which we get words like mortician, mortify. The word means quite plainly death. Now, it's understandable that we do talk this way, but yet it's rather ironic, I think, that, that we talk about these mortal bodies of ours being healthy. Because the word implies exactly the opposite of health, doesn't it? Mortal means not healthy, but deathly. So we stand in line at the grocery store, waiting to be checked out. We read the headliners and the new, or rather the magazines about how to maintain a healthy body. Healthy habits, healthy diets, healthy weight. When even as we stand there, our mortal bodies continue to do what they do, and that's die. Mortal bodies, unlike his glorious body right now. Well, Paul gives us the reason, too, of these mortal bodies. Remember, he said it in the text. He said the body is dead. He said because of sin. Now, we've surveyed about life's biggest problems. The top answers probably would be conflict in the world, conflict in our neighborhoods, sickness, disease, health crises, ecological or financial disasters and challenges, oppression perhaps. Probably sin wouldn't be listed among the chief concerns, the chief problems we have in our life. But you know it's sin that gives birth to all of them just mentioned? If you yourself, if you're yet unsure that sin's a problem for you in your life, ask yourself but one question. Am I mortal? Am I mortal? Is death something that I have to face one day? Since St. Paul so interconnectedly, if you will, links death to sin, sin's a problem for all of us mortals. And so death is still a part of our life, even for us Christians, in whom the Holy Spirit does dwell by virtue of our baptism. Because sin is still very much a part of our life, Paul tells you that forgiven of it, it no longer reigns in you, but it's still there. It will be there until the day these mortal bodies are, are laid to rest into the ground and the place they wait their glorification. Because of sin, we do face mortality. In fact, it's nothing new to us, though, because 
sin is present in our lives, even from the moment of conception, dead. Dead is how life begins for each and every one of us. Think about that. Spiritually lifeless. The psalmist tells us we're conceived in sin, and so it's no wonder then that we hear St. Paul tell us that we were dead in our trespasses and in our sin. And physically, too, we're dying from the moment we're conceived, aren't we? It just It's a little easier on the eyes and on the joints in the first couple decades. But nonetheless, we die and begin to do so from the moment we're conceived. That's why the picture that we, we get in the Old Testament reading from today, for today, from Ezekiel, that's why it's such a great picture for us, a good one for us to, to consider and to look at in, in light of, of the mortality in our lives. Mortality from the beginning of our lives. Remember how it goes, those, those dry and those dead and those lifeless bones, that mortal mess that did there lie on the valley floor? That's where the story begins. That's where your story begins too. And mine as well. So the question's very appropriate. Can these bones live? Can the mortal live? Well, indeed, not by ourselves. The bones, not by themselves. Remember for those bones that were strewn all across the valley floor? Remember what it took for them to be animated? It took a blast of the breath of God to animate them. It's very interesting to note, as we consider that in the New Testament here, in the Old Testament, Ezekiel's account, as it took a blast of the breath of God to animate those bones, it's very noteworthy that in both the Hebrew language in which the Old Testament's written, also in the Greek language in which the New Testament's written, the words for breath, ruach in the Hebrew, pneuma in the Greek, both of these can mean both breath and spirit. And so when you think about it, it took a blast of the Spirit of God, the breath of God, the Spirit of God to animate those dry bones, the ones who didn't have any spirit, any breath in them. You see, where the Spirit or the breath of God enters and dwells there, their death can't hang its hat. That which is of the mortal flesh, that's flesh. But, but that which is of the spirit, that's breath and that's spirit. And so considering all of this, then think again. Think again to the words of our epistle reading. St. Paul's words early on in the epistle reading. Because St. Paul talks about that very same thing. Of the spirit and breath giving life and freeing that which was dead. Remember what he said? For the law... Of the spirit of life, the binding principle of the spirit of life, the breath of life, has freed you from the law or the binding principle of sin and death. Sin and death bound you, mortal as we are, to that valley floor. But where the spirit and the breath of God has come to dwell in you, death is no longer binding there. And that's the magnificent news of the gospel, friends. That's the magnificent news of the gospel that we hear today. Death's been undone. We're unbound from it. Certainly not by our own doing. St. Paul makes that most clear, again in the epistle reading. 
He won't let us forget it when he says, God has done what you, by the law, the weakness of your flesh, he says, could not do. And note what he says. Doesn't leave us the least possibility that we could do it of ourselves. As if thinking back on those bones, as if they could put their sinews back on and reattach their own ligaments, recover themselves with with their flesh and their skin, start their, their own vital organs again pick themselves up off the dusty valley floor and breathe into themselves the breath of life. It just doesn't happen. That's why St. Paul says, God has done what you could not do, what was impossible for you to do. Certainly our daily failings and the things that we should do but we don't do, things that we should not do but we end up doing, these things prove Paul's words true. If it were up to us, we simply could not do it. Could not do it. By the law of God, then death had legally binding claim on us, but this is the good news that it does no more. Death's been undone. We've been unbound because sin's been dealt with. Remember how connected death and sin are. Sin's been dealt with, friends. Where and how has it been dealt with? Paul continues, he says, by sending his own son in the flesh, by sending Christ Jesus in the flesh, God, he says, put, our, put upon him our sin. And now Paul continues and he comes to the decisive phrase and the remarkable phrase. The phrase in which, picture in your mind, the phrase in which the gavel of divine justice comes pounding down Once and for all time, Paul says, by sending his own son to take our place in the flesh, God has condemned sin. Condemned sin in the flesh. This he did on the cross in his son. To put it in other words of scripture, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. To be guilty And judged guilty for us so that we might be righteous, not guilty in him. And that's why Paul says what he did at the beginning of the epistle reading when he said, There now is no condemnation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The legally binding law has lost its claim on you. And where the law can no longer bind, that's where sin falls. And where sin falls and sin is undone, then death too will become undone. I think it's like that picture that we, that powerful picture we saw at the end of and heard of at the end of the gospel reading today. Remember the scene? Christ there standing before the open tomb of his friend Lazarus, before that man. Risen now, the breath of life spoken back into him, yet bound in the wraps of death. And what does Christ say to him? Christ says to that man there, bound in the wraps of death, he says, unbind him, let him go. Friends, as the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, His command to sin in the wraps of death is the same. Unbind him. Let him go. 
The question then is, how do you know? How do you know if the Spirit does indeed dwell and reside in you? Some will look for the Spirit in, in the more unreliable, in the more undiscernible, indiscernible things, things like signs and, and, and wonders, speaking in indiscernible language and tongue. They might listen for the Spirit and look for the Spirit in inner tremor. Inner tremors they might try to feel or, or fevered emotions, but friends, be certain of it. God's far more predictable than that. Far more predictable than that. If you want to know if the Spirit of Him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, then look to the concrete things that He's given. Have you been baptized? Have you been baptized in baptism's holy waters? Because it's in that baptism, Scripture tells us, that God pours out His Holy Spirit in us and on us, and He does it abundantly, He says. So look to the concrete things. Do you hear preached? Or do you hear read? Or do you, do you yourself read the Word of God, namely Christ, and Him crucified for you? And do you believe His work? Do you confess him to be that Lord? Because scripture says no one can say and confess Jesus is Lord except by that Holy Spirit dwelling in you. So look to the concrete things, friends. Do you make use of the supper of the Lord, knowing yourself to need it? Coming in faith to receive it and all that sin-destroying forgiveness and faith-sustaining strength that it brings. If so, then don't miss the Spirit at work in you. Because these are the pulsations of the Holy Spirit. The living vibrations of the Holy Spirit. This is the rhythm of the Holy Spirit breathing life into those in whom He dwells. If you want to know if the spirit of him who raised Jesus dwells in you, then go to the concrete things of his word and his sacraments, because it's there. And as Luther famously said, it's only there that the spirit is given, that the spirit is found. If the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, if he's in you, then you will be like him. You will be like him. But let's remember that though sin and death be undone, all the undoing of sin and death doesn't come all at the same time. It doesn't come all at once. It's what we call the now and the not yet of the Christian life. Sin's guilt is, is pardoned. You heard that proclamation of pardon as recently as, as about half an hour ago when it was proclaimed to you. Sin's guilt is pardoned. But sin remains in this world. Bodily mortality remains. The, the body's Christ-like glory is not yet. Though your sins are pardoned now, the glory is not yet. But you know that's exactly what Paul said in the text. Listen once again. If the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells, present tense, now dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life, not yet, but will also 
give life to your mortal bodies. Each day we moan, we groan. With mortalities, aches, and pains, they may get us down. But knowing what we know from the text, we can think of them in another way. Listen carefully to those moans and groans, those aches and pains. Listen carefully to them. For do you know what it is? It's the sound of sin and death losing its last grip on you. And then, and then at last, then the not yet will become also the now. And as Paul said, the last trumpet will sound. The mortal, he says, will put on immortality. And when it has, then will come to pass that saying that's written. Death is swallowed up in victory. For the sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, he will. That's his promise to you. Give life to these mortal bodies of ours, even if it takes a while. Archbishop Trench tells how in the year 1690, an agave plant was brought. An agave plant resembling a yucca plant was brought over, planted in the gardens of Hampton Court Palace by Queen Mary. For the next 11 years, the plant showed no signs of flowering. In fact, throughout the entire 18th century, the plant showed no signs of putting forth any bud at all. 88 years of the 19th century went by, and still no sign of flower. But then, in 1889, the plant that was planted in 1690, in 1889, the plant burst forth in brilliant blossom, demonstrating and showing the life that had been therein all along. Friends, hear it one more time. If the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That's his promise. The Lord has spoken and he will do it. In his name, amen.